0: Welcome to In20XX. This series takes the listener, year by year, into the future. From 2040 to 2195. If you like emerging tech, ecotech, futurism, permaculture, apocalyptic survival scenarios, and disruptive science, sit back and enjoy short stories that showcase my research into how the future may play out. With a big head and bushy brows, Brandon has lived all his 22 years in New Jersey. Over the summer, his fifth story apartment becomes a third story apartment when cities all along the East Coast construct reinforcement piers and build elevated streets, sometimes three stories higher than the originals. Instead of retreating from the coast, many cities build further out over the water. Brandon misses the beaches, but he visits the new malls hanging over the water more than he visited the old boardwalks. He can bring a torp and a paper sack down a ramp to a floating dock in the summer. One dock holds a ferris wheel, but every time storms of high winds show in the forecast, tugs move the docks into storage. The docks are gone for the winter when he grabs breakfast in a diner that overlooks the water an ice storm assaults the windows to a point where he can't make out the water at all he hasn't been up this early in a super long time he's had no reason to his job doesn't care what time he gets up after installing an app that sends biotic real-time streams of every movement of his vr dots they pay him five dollars a day rent costs forty dollars a month this plate of waffles and eggs costs 30 cents no need to worry about money, but day after day of gaming becomes boring. As he eats, he takes a giantess entry-level test. His ear canal implant can tunes out the sounds of other diners. To take the test, he must agree to let the app block all other internet use. He can't even use saved files. So for the question, what is the square root of 64? He chooses 4. For the question. What does BTU stand for? He chooses BASE TEMPERATURE UNIT. This test is a waste of effort. Finishing his food and wanting to leave, he chooses answers randomly without reading the questions and closes the app before getting the score. As he stands, the tarms reach down, take his dishes, and wipe the counter. Outside the diner on a walkway, shops and restaurants flank his right and handrail keeping people from falling into ocean water's borders his left. On the other side of the water, another walkway with more stores and restaurants stretches for a couple of miles. He walks. Pedestrians talk over each other, but his canal link silences most of it he can hear nearby conversations as strangers pass and that's about it. His canal link rings and through his glasses a bubble pops up that reads giantess recruiting. It has an emblem designating it as officially from giantess. No way, he stops in his tracks. That's ridiculous. If he passed the test it was only because of luck. What feels like fear floods his senses he doesn't want to answer. But what does he have to lose? He answers, hello, an avatar that looks like a perfectly clean cut. Man appears and says, Brandon Lark, I'm looking over a test you recently took. You may be a fit for a position we have open." Brandon says, did I pass? The avatar says, You didn't reach the score required to enter our bot maintenance program, but your answers give us reason to believe you're suited for a different line of work. Brandon feels excited to the point of nausea. Anyone who works at Giantess these days gets filthy rich. He says, Okay. The avatar smiles politely and says, How do you feel about going into space? Brandon's eyes and mouth gape so much, strangers passing glance and wonder. He grips the rail with one hand and his side with the other. The ice storm doesn't relent. Reinforcement arms and wind-dampening fins join the city buildings together. Brandon's bot cab takes covered roads. Watching a video of a waterfall... He rubs his palms together and stretches uncomfortably. Inside a giantess building, an avatar leads him down a maze of corridors past wooden, unmarked doors. It feels like he passes the same potted plant a dozen times. The avatar, who looks chubby and acts mellow, stops, turns, and gestures for Brandon to go through an open door. In the room, people sit in classroom desks. A flat screen covers the front wall. With an effeminate voice, the avatar says, Find a seat. Then he disappears. Brandon takes a seat in the middle of the room. Everyone watches things with their glasses. Brandon watches Mr. Apology, a tuber who films himself talking to femmes in bars and asking for life advice. At least five others in the room react at the same time. One cries out, The guy sitting next to Brandon says, no. A femme in the front gasps and covers her mouth. Brandon waves his hand to clear his glasses of AR elements, looks over at the guy next to him, and asks, what just happened? The guy with a Roman nose, still focused on AR, says five members of the Supreme Court were assassinated. Others in the room speak to each other about the breaking news. He says, "What?" The guy next to him says, "It just happened. Four were in their homes. One was attending her granddaughter's ballet. It was microbots. They self-destructed, but one bot got chewed by a dog before it could self-destruct." Brandon says, "Assistant, show me the latest news." Video thumbs appear with titles like "Deadly Attack" and "The Nation in Shock." An avatar appears through the front wall screen Wearing a bow blouse and skirt She says, Good morning candidates Please remove your glasses A feminine front says Can't we put this on pause until we get more news about the judges The guy next to Brandon says The AI won't know what you're talking about Let's just get through this We can all watch the news after The avatar says Quiet now, I need your full attention. As all of you know, the position you're trying for is a scout job in space. I'll ask you a list of questions and you can choose your answer on your desk. Avoid looking at your neighbors. You're being eye-tracked. The first question is, how long would you like to work in space? On Brandon's desk, three answers appear, one, two years max. 2. Until I retire 3. I could see myself living in space Brandon moves his hand between answers. He chooses 3. The Avatar says, Question 2. How willing are you to take medication? 1. Very willing. I trust fully in the program. 2. Willing, but I want to know more about what the medications are. 3. Willing as long as the medication is FDA-approved. And four, I have some reservations. Brandon chooses one. After an hour, they take a break. In the hall, the guy with the Roman nose introduces himself as Rock. He watches the news on his glasses while talking to Brandon. Man, this is crazy. The assassin robots were as big as mice. But they could fly and cut through walls. Brandon starts to watch the news. An animation shows a microbot flying at the outline of a person and burrowing into their throat. He says, I hope I get this job. I never thought I could want a job so badly. I've never really thought about going into space. Ruck says, Me neither. Compared to rockets from earlier decades, the two-stage rocket appears small half of its volume is dedicated to cargo. Its fuel, a long chain compound, is ignited at 150 degrees Celsius. As the combustion process begins, the temperature increases, causing the fuel molecules to disintegrate. The two remaining types of molecules react in the intense heat, leading to a much higher temperature as they combust and release energy. One by one, Twenty passengers enter through the hatch and climb a ladder to their seats which face upward. Their seats close straps around every part of their bodies from their necks down, and drip feeds in their suits feed them sedatives. Brandon barely remembers being crushed as the rocket leaves Earth. His suit and chair squeeze him. His mask forces air into his lungs and sucks it back out again. But he barely knows what's happening. When the rocket reaches space, he can't enjoy it because it takes many hours for the sedative to wear off. He sleeps. When he awakes, others float around the long flat cabin laughing or staring out the windows. He pushes a hard button on the armrest. His chair straps release him, and he floats up. Two out of three of the passengers are femmes. Most of them are surprisingly cute, too. Surrounded by people in padded suits floating about, he's reminded of watching bodies moving in dance clubs. With a gentle push, the chair falls away from him. Queasiness grips his stomach. Then he bumps into the ceiling and can grab the nearest handhold. A blonde, brown-skinned, green-eyed femme turns from a window and says, This view is amazing, but I don't think I've ever been offline. He reverse swipes, and four icons appear in his lower field of view. He says, oh, what's this? She says, it's the ship server. We can't even get email. I've tried every 10 minutes for the last hour. He says, the icons are 2D. She laughs and says, I know it's bad. He taps the center of his field of view and says with some alarm in his voice, my assistant is gone. She says, I know, it's scary. She moves over, and he looks out the window at a blackness like he's never seen before. A far off rocket reflecting a band of intense light flies in the same direction as the rocket they are on. For the next 48 hours, when not sleeping, people are like children. They speak with awe. They laugh for the wonder of it all. Brandon tears up more than once, He was living in a bubble and now he's gotten out of it and sees that it has an outside. It's like he's entered a different reality. Under the moon's surface, inside a lava tunnel, inside a habitat, life is cramped. In long, windowless cylinders, maneuvering around people in gravity that everyone moves awkwardly in. Becomes a bother just a few days after Brandon arrives. The bunks stack three high, line long tubes with narrow passages between them. He jumps floats into his middle bunk, stretches flat to settle onto the mat wrists, and pulls the curtain all the way closed. It seems like he's at arm's length with at least one other person at all times. At least he can set his canal links to silence chatter. The internet is limited so he plays pre-downloaded music. It's seriously crazy that they can house a bunch of people on the moon but they can't put in some decent servers. He gets it that the firewall prevents him from posting and AI scrub his emails of any sensitive information. Who cares? He's never felt the frenzy to create content. But the only way he can get a video to play is to download it first. For someone about to cross the midpoint of the century, that's hearse and buggy conditions. It hurts. It becomes a hassle just to chill and watch videos. His favorite games don't work without full-speed internet so he finds some janky games that do. Lights out. Though his glasses are frosted over in full VR mode, he can tell the bunk-cube has gone dark. He shoots at some squiggly floaty creatures in a cave for a few more minutes before falling asleep. Hearing his alarm, he opens his eyes. He says, hear all, and can hear others leaving their bunks and talking. Hearing Rex's voice, he pulls the curtain open. Ruck looks down at Brandon as he leapfrogs over two others. Ruck says, yo bro. Brandon says, what's up? Ruck says remember that femme who refused to wear glasses and always had that old foldable with her brandon says i think so ruck says she got canned brandon says what do you mean ruck says she lost it he continues down the tube without finishing the conversation Brandon makes a face to stretch his face muscles and climbs out to join the congestion of floaty bodies trying to get to the vacuum showers before everyone else. She got canned? We live in cans. How can we get canned? It's not like someone can clean out their desk and take a bot cab home. When he got the scout job, he thought he'd be working hands-on. That's what scouts do. A company hires scouts to do a job and records their every movement. They use the data to train robots to take over that job. Hums are good at jumping into new tasks and companies leverage that to train robots faster. Every time someone gives this explanation, they show a video of a person walking into a job site and using their hands to assemble a sneaker, pull a dent out of a car, or do some other task. He thought he'd be making space walks, or at least using his whole body to work. Instead, he remotely pilots an asteroid mining robot. He doesn't know where the asteroids are that he mines remotely. Rux as the asteroids are collected and brought near the moon. Luna's low gravity enables him to sit at a station for eight hours a day without getting bud aches His robot moves in near-zero gravity which takes a lot of practice to control. He wishes that just once they'd let him put on a space suit and walk on the surface of the moon. He's on the friggin' moon for friggin' sake. You don't take a trip to another country just to stay in a hotel room. How's that saying go? I went to blank, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. What do he and his co-workers do when not working? The Habitat provides a game room and a fitness machine room. Some people work out, but no one is asked to. Not too many years ago, spacers needed to work out many hours each day to fight bone density loss and muscle loss. The meds are supposed to counteract the effects of low gravity and they work. He's never felt fitter and he almost has what can count as a six pack. Near the end of his shift, He looks up when Bandy arrives and stands over him. With an hourglass figure and daring eyes, she smiles then forgets to stop smiling. He logs out and gets up to let her have the station. Today is Thursday, his favorite day, the day he gets a physical and medication top off for the week. He waits in line in a long tube. At the front of the line, someone float walks out of a doorway. Dr. Bailey sticks her head through the door and says, next. The person at the front of the line goes through the door. Ruck looks back at Brandon and laughing, says, don't even dream, you sorry ass. You know Clancy, he's been here for three years, and he said the doc has never gotten with anyone, not even other femmes." Brandon shrugs, Ruck says, I'm telling you, these side effects are too much. My food tastes weird. I feel panicky all the time. A femme behind Brandon says, tell it to the doctor. Ruck says, I am going to tell it to the doctor, okay. Brandon notices rashes around Rick's eyelids. 20 minutes later at the front of a line, Dr. Bailey calls Brandon into her cylinder-shaped office. He sits on the examination table. She faces him as she looks at his file through her glasses. She asks, how have you been? How's your muscle spasms? Her black hair has grown out and couldn't look healthier. He's never seen eyebrows such as hers. Is he imagining or does he smell milk? He had a babysitter who used to smell like milk, that is, before she left town and had a baby. He says, I still get them. Stretching helps. They don't last as long. She types and says, so the Tuscanival helps a little? He says, yes, I think so. She says, how's your sleep? He says, fine. She says, um, that's not what the sensors tell me. He says, oh, well, I've always been a restless sleeper. She says, and your appetite? He nods, shakes his head, and says, yeah, no, I still need to make myself eat. I ate everything like you told me to. She looks him in the eye, frowns, smiles, and says, every last bit. He says, yeah. She air types, taps her finger on the machine that puts together medications, pulls out a cartridge the size of a book of matches, and says, let's see your arm. He pulls up his sleeve to show her the wide bend around his upper arm. She lifts a flap, pulls the old cartridge out, and puts in the new one. He sleeps in his bunk soundly. Glow strips are the only sources of light in the bunk cube. Someone tugs on his shirt sleeve. He opens his eyes and raises his head. Bandy leans over his bunk. She whispers, hi Brandon. Quietly, not to wake the others, he says, what's up, Bandy? She smiles and says, fine. I just finished my shift. Her smile remains. He says, really? She says, yeah, he says, what are you going to do now? She leans in closer. Her eyes are bloodshot. Smiling, she says, I'm going to kill everyone here. He struggles to get up and knocks his head on the hard surface above him. He feels but finds no bandy. It was another nightmare. Crap. He and five others follow an avatar giving them safety training. The hologram of the avatar appears to walk in the tube with them, but it can only appear as long as they wear their glasses. The avatar, a middle-aged man with a chest puffed out, points to a box on the wall and says, this is first aid. Rock, do me a favor and open it, would you? Ruck steps through the hologram on purpose as he opens the box. The avatar says, please step back so the others can see. And he goes on to explain all the items in the box and how to use them. They follow the avatar further down the tube. He points at a fire extinguisher and says, I'm sure everyone here knows this is a fire extinguisher. Everyone nods except for Ruck who says, oh is that what that is? The avatar says, I'm sure everyone here wants to get through this training, Rock. Please cooperate. This type of fire extinguisher won't be found in many places on Earth. It can put out many types of fires, including rocket fuel fires. The chemicals in this extinguisher will melt human flesh. By using this to put out a fire, you may save the entire staff, but whoever gets sprayed with this stuff will die. Screams and shouts somewhere else in the tubes make the group turn away from the avatar. Rock says, what's that? From down the tubes, a femme screams, get away from me. Another femme shouts, the jacket. Get the restraint jacket. Toya, a femme brand and never talks too much even though everyone's packed inside this habitat. Comes bounding flying down the tube yelling, help. She's lost it. Ruck says, who? Toya tumbles into them knocking everyone over. She says, I'm not kidding. Get moving. Bandy is running around with a knife. A guy in the group says, where'd she get a knife? After dinner, Brandon heads down a tube he's never gone down before. Half the lights are out to simulate sunset. He feels nervous. How far do these tubes go? Would he get in trouble for wandering around? He passes a door and jumps when Dr. Bailey steps through one of them. She says, there you are. He nods and looks down but looks back up and meets her eyes. She says, are you ready to see? He says, I am. She takes his arm and says, this way. At a hatch door, she grabs the handle. The handle reads a minute chip in her hand and the door clicks. She pulls it open. He says, you have clearance. She says, yes, make sure to close the door behind you. As they pass through corridors, the environment takes on an industrial aesthetic. Doorways reveal machine racks, tanks, and blinking lights. Tool belts bursting with tools hang on the walls. Pointing through one door, she says, we grow plants in there. Plants crowd each other on shelves. He says, it's so dim, how do they grow? She says. The fluid their roots grow and powers them. They don't need light. At a window, she stops him and says, Look. Outside, spotlights reveal a vast cavern. He says, Wow. I mean, wow. She laughs and says, One day the lava tube will be sealed, and a small city can live down here. He bumps his hand against hers. She takes his hand and leads him further. The character of the tubes changes again. Now he sees operating tables, respirators, and MRI scans on flat screens. They glide step past a doorway and she says, we print organs in there. Passing another door, she says, we engineer microbes that can live in space, in there. He says, I heard about a DNA vault. She says, yes, that's much further down. Eventually, all the world's DNA will be there. Through a length of windows, they look down into a room where old people sit or shuffle around guided by walker bots. He says, I heard about the retirement community. She says, they are all volunteers. He says, this is their first time in space. She points at a man petting a cat and says, he flew on one of the space shuttle missions. He says. They take bone and muscle medication like us. She says, yes and no. Different ages need different meds. He says, and they have symptoms too. She says, yes. He says, don't they feel like guinea pigs? She says, they know why they're here. They're helping us to learn to live an entire life in space. Space will never be so hard to live in as it is for our generation. He nods and watches her lips. They move into a couple's cabin. Some people pretend to be couples just to get out of the bunk tubes, but Brandon and Dr. Bailey, or Chira as he now calls whore, don't need to pretend. They sit on the couch that can fold out to a bed and speak with an AI. Consultant appearing to sit across from them. The avatar looking like a middle-aged and wearing a lab coat, says, Do you want to carry the baby or do you want them grown in a synth womb? Shira says, Oh, I want to carry. Besides, less gravity so it should be easier to carry. Both she and Brandon laugh, turning to face each other, smiling just because it heard laughter. The avatar says, We can screen out hundreds of potential diseases. We also offer minor to extensive germline editing. Your baby will maintain bone and muscle density on their own to a certain extent. They'll require much less medication than, well, than the rest of spacers now living. The avatar holds out their palms and says, their cells can be much more resilient to the shower of cosmic rays. I know you feel safe in the tunnels, but what if your baby wants to travel to Mars or someday Europa? Brandon says, you've talked a lot about making our baby suited to living in space. What if she wants to live on Earth? The Avatar says, if you want your baby to live in that gravity well, my advice is for you to move back to Earth before having the baby. No matter what we do, your child will need years of treatment to survive on Earth if you have them in space. Brandon rears back his head. Jira looks at him until he meets her gaze. She says, Space is my home. I want to raise a family in space. When Brandon sees the tears in her eyes, he feels moisture gathering in his eyes. That night, Brandon feels the lightest tapping on his chest. He looks up. Ruck leans over him. Brandon whispers, how do you get in here? What are you doing here? Ruck puts his finger to his lips and whispers, hey bro, you gotta get out of here. They're going to kill us all. The tubes are fake. You have to break out. Brandon says, I can't do that. I'm going to be a father. Ruck says, no time. The gas is already coming in. Brandon tries to sit up but can't. He panics and tries with all his might to move. He wakes in the dimly lit room with Jiro lying next to him. Without opening her eyes, she says, you had a nightmare. He says, no, just a leg cramped. When he glides into the pilot room to start his shift, Ricks station is empty. Brandon says to anyone listening, where's Rock? The femme sitting near the door pulls her glasses down to make eye contact and shrugs. A femme near the back says, I heard they pulled him out last night. Brandon says, pulled him out. She says, the pressure, it got to him. Brandon stands looking over the heads of the others until two pilots try to push past him to get in the room. The femme near the door says, sorry to hear about your friend. On Earth, in New Jersey, in a bar that can hold hundreds at night but is now mostly empty in the daytime, Bandy sits in a booth. Her glasses, in two way mirror mode, hide her eyes. She remains still when Ruck enters, searches the room for her, spots her, and walks past booths and around tables toward her. On the way, he swipes and taps in the air. As he sits, A bot arm reaches down from the ceiling and sets his drink in front of him. He studies Bandy's face for a couple of seconds before saying, Thanks for meeting me. She smiles her smile that'll stay on her lips. She says, No problem. He says, You have the recordings? With a fingers walking gesture and a picking out gesture, she pulls up some video files in her AR. She makes a lasso gesture and then a throw gesture to send the files to him. Light leaks from behind their glasses. He draws a circle in the air and pulls it down. Thanks. He pauses, looks around, and sips his drink. She says, you think they chose us because we were qualified. A says, "How? Huh? Well, now that I think about, like, what do you mean? Taking a long drink doesn't stop her from smiling. She says, They chose us because we aren't especially qualified. He nods and says, Yeah, right. I'll have to think about that. The whole thing was so weird. Do you remember a few years ago, in the news, when that astronaut died? She drinks again and nods. He says, That guy had a friend on Earth he talked with all the time. She says, So? He says, so they have good internet on the moon. Remember how slow our internet was. She says, that could just be for security. I mean, that guy died because of a malware attack. Ruck says, yeah, right. Hey, you want to get drunk? Still smiling, she nods emphatically and says, hell yes, I do. thank you for listening. I will never run ads on this podcast. Please take the time to rate, review, and subscribe so that more future-minded people can find this show. My landing page is n20xx.com. There, you can find the companion website to this podcast that includes an illustrated timeline and glossary.